Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. Nicolas Desange and Adam Friedman took to the stage to talk about inspiring the next evolution of culture. Nicola is the co-founder and CEO of search engine Algolia, and Adam is the founder of Mably and Pro Habits. They were interviewed by Henny Roini. Okay, guys, let's get right into it. Yeah, so first, Nicholas, um, I wanted to talk to you about when you first started Algolia, I think back in uh, 2012, right? Yeah, so um, I heard that right in that beginning, you started talking about with your co-founder about how you really wanted to create like a, a culture-first company. So what were the next, like the first steps you took actually like back then and Like, how have you actually managed to keep those core values even through, like, rapid growth? Sure. So uh, what happened back then is that even before creating the company, so that's why uh, I even say culture first, uh, we made sure that we were compatible, that we wanted to be the same kind of company. So that's why we spent, actually spent half a day just chatting about not the product, but the kind of company we wanted to create. So no core values then, no, 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 nothing much except that concept of ownership that we coined by then. Um, and actually, it took us one year before to hire our very first team member. So that was very uh, unusual in a way to create that culture before having any team member uh, joining us. But then... Then the story continues, and uh, and that's when we started to define, to formalize a bit more the culture. First, with a, a simple, simply a wiki page explaining what we had in mind, and later on, two years ago, three years in, uh, that's when we created these core values that we have today. So, what what are your core values, and how did you actually? Um How did you create those? Was that like a common decision by all of the employees, or like how did you create those core values? Um, It was not coming from all employees. It was more a, a refinement of the culture that was already already there. So it okay. was mostly we had uh, even our HR, HR person who kind of was the owner of that project. And she basically interviewed us, uh, mostly the founders, the exec, the, the tenured employees. And then we went uh, uh, asking feedback from everyone else so that they could challenge our choices. Uh, so these values are, we have five of these core values, uh, grit, so grit is really perseverance, uh, it's really uh, getting out of your comfort zone, learning uh, from uh, mis your mistakes, uh, trust, we want owners, so we, you need to trust them with everything so that they can make decisions and own really their, their projects, care, uh, care You know, that could be a word on a, on a wall, but it's really about uh, going the extra step for your team members. Uh, I use the example of uh, one of the things I'm the proudest of in the company is to see salespeople working alongside developers on common projects, going on calls to the users, really caring about each other. Candor, candor is about providing feedback. We want everyone to grow, uh, but to help them grow, 
you need to tell them what they are doing right, what they are doing wrong. So that's what we call radical candor. There is a, a book by Kim Scott about that that's really awesome. Uh, I would uh, recommend you to read it. And the last one is uh, humility. Uh, that comes mostly from the founders, but it's really in line with uh, actually our audience of developers who really hate aggressive marketing. So getting that humility, that authenticity is really a part also of who we, who we are. Yeah. So what about at your company? How did you actually start to create those values? And since you are very like culture first company, like at your own company, how did you manage to create those? It was a real, it was a real challenge. Yeah. So in the beginning, we, um, we really wanted to focus on profit. How do we return the investment to, to our investors? And over time, we realized that we weren't inspired. Our tribe wasn't inspired. And we asked the question of how do we build a company we would like to work for? And that launched the process of interviewing a thousand companies for a book that's coming out in a couple months. And we learned a lot from what not to do. I'd say we learned much more from that than from what to do. And we decided ourselves to explore the next frontier. What does it look like to build a company? And we're now testing our ideas internally and hopefully we'll be sharing them externally what works. So what you don't want to do? <laughs> well, what you don't want to be or what you don't want to do is uh, act fake. I think that is the biggest problem today within organizations. They have purpose and values on their websites, on their walls. Their leaders talk about it and everyone kind of nods and goes, yes, yes, yes. That's all for show. These are stated and they're advertised. I'll underline that. Do not do that. Okay. So um, what about these sort of companies? Like there's, there's so many these sort of companies. I, I know many. Of course, I don't know how much they actually use those values in their daily life. But for those companies who haven't really thought, even thought about their values, how can, how can they start doing that in a low level? If the company is already like up and running, maybe they're like a multinational company, how can, how can you at that point start creating a positive culture? So I'd, I'd say make a conscious choice first, that you want to be real or fake, and make that decision on the level of the executive leadership. Thereafter, we suggest following the following kind of a paradigm. Purpose inspires, values guide, habits define. So purpose. What do you want to leave in the world? What is your legacy? If you think about an organization that's going to survive 100 years. Values, we believe ideally you'll have your tribe, your employees, I hate the word employees, your tribe help you figure out what those values are. But then how do you make them a habit? How do you figure out a way for your tribe to intentionally live those values every day and become the best selves they could be? Just on a quick side note, the stats are 87% of employees are disengaged at work globally, 87%. We're talking about such a waste of human potential. We could do better, not just to do right by them and the communities, but to do right for the world. So, Yeah. Um, so what about, how, how do you measure these values at, at your companies and uh, like how do you measure the impact of it? So I, I'd say, do you want to start? Oh, good. A little shameless advertisement there. Um, we're launching a research project called ProHabits. And the research project mo monitors and facilitates daily commitment through emails uh, to make sure that the tribe is actively living their values. But taking that aside, 
I think Algolia and Nicholas has lots of great examples through Slack, and maybe you could talk about how you guys bring them yeah. to life. Uh, I think there's two questions here. There's how can we measure the values, how they are adopted, and what kind of things can we put in place to help adopting the values? How can we measure? Well, the, the thing is that we don't really. It's very qualitative, it's not quantitative. Well, maybe we can make that a little more quantitative with the help of, uh, of Adam. Um, we are testing his product, so we'll see how, it, how that goes. Uh, but one of the things we do actually is that we have uh, put in place quarterly things. So every quarter we have these kind of reviews uh, between managers and, and, uh, and their team. And the values are an integral part of it. We, we make sure they are discussed uh, in these one-on-ones just to make sure that you can uh, provide feedback about how people are actually embodying, embodying or not the values. Uh, and then if we look at how can we help people to, uh, to really uh, get these values uh, in their day-to-day, -day, uh, there are like many small things we can do. Uh, the, the one I like, because it's very simple, is the, in Slack, what we did is that we created emojis for each of these values. And so simply, people can react on messages with these emojis. Uh, it's very silly, very simple, easy to, to put in place, but the impact is actually huge because that means the values are going to be top of the mind every day. You are going to read about them every day. And uh, then after that, it's just making sure you are embodying the values, speaking about them. When you act, when you make a decision, you can actually use the values to explain your decision. And that goes a very long way. The idea here is to make the, the culture, the values, uh, organic so that you don't have to, uh, to explain them top down anymore. It becomes part of who you are as an organization so that every new team member, simply by being part of a team, are going to be exposed to this value, to, to that culture constantly and become part of it right away. So what about if you um, really notice some real problems in the culture, like as an employee, how can you actually face that? How, what, what can you do at that point? So, um, so we kind of try to put that in the system for us with this candor value. Candor is all about speaking your mind, speaking up. Candor is not uh, providing feedback to your reports. It's really between everyone, top down, bottom up, peers. Uh, and so we expect that core value to help everyone to actually speak up if they see anything bad. And as a founder, it's your responsibility to uh, never let anything pass. Uh, if something uh, happens that is not in line with your values, you should react instantly and make it known that it's not okay. Uh, show by example and encourage people, everyone to, uh, to, um, really to, uh, to speak up if they see anything wrong. So as an employee, if you see an issue, what do you do? You either feel comfortable to share it or get the hell out. There are better organizations. You only live once. If, if it doesn't enable you to be the best self you can be, look for an organization that, that does. We hire. <laughs> OK. Uh, well, over here, we can go to recruiting. Um, so apparently, you mentioned on the stage that um, your recruiting process is pretty intense. So how, how do you market the recruiting and how do you get these busy people to actually invest time in the process? Um, we trick them. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a joke, but uh, joke aside, 
the the way we we do it, the, the first thing we do is a uh, like very classic uh, recruiter call, uh, and actually the values are the the first thing we check. Then it's a small check. I mean, half an hour call, um, but just to filter out people who are not going to be obviously wrong culture fit here. Then the the first few calls are about learning about the the job, making sure that the people are right, but also continuing to pitch the company. And that's the most important here, because you want, after the first couple of calls, people to really be enthusiastic about the company. Because then, that's when you ask them an assignment. That's when you ask them to actually invest a lot of time. So before, and that's the trick here, before asking for this assignment, asking for this homework that we ask everyone to do, we make sure that they are convinced that the company is the good one for them first. So that they are going to be able to, to dedicate that energy. If you don't do that, probably they are going to pass. They are going to uh, not do the assignment because an assignment can be hours long, sometimes even more, depending on how much they put in it. And uh, in our case, after the assignment, uh, we bring, bring them on site. So usually before coming on site, we validated that they were good for the job itself. And so the on-site is mostly about the culture of it. So they are going to meet a lot of team members, do a presentation to the team, um, and that's when we are going to learn the most. And after ref calls, and, uh, and that's it. And so what I was sharing on stage is that the process is pretty intense, but when people go through, they love it. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling, uh, uh, whatever you say that, prophecy in the sense that People who drop in the process obviously are not going to be as enthusiastic, but you don't know that because they have dropped. Uh, but what happened at the end of the process is that they feel they are already part of the company. So I had like that, um, that new, uh, new team member in New York who shared with me that she had several offers, but at the end of the process, she felt she was already part of the company. So that was an obvious choice for her uh, because she was already a team member before even joining. And usually people join us, they don't have any surprise. They know what to expect because they, they learn so much during the process. Yeah. So um, there has been a lot talk about like actual diversity in tech. And uh, when, when you talk about culture first companies, um, immediately comes to mind that if you have the same sort of com like culture between people, does it actually cause us diversity? Because what do you think? Not at all. Uh, I want to, be, to, to make a clear distinction between the, the background of people, where they're coming from, their gender, their country, whatever, and the culture and the core values of the company. I shared the values before. You can share these values, whatever your gender, whatever your uh, origin, your country. So I don't think it's uh, at all a problem. Actually, the culture, the way it's defined, helps us to have more diversity. Like, for example, that care value, uh, is really uh, like uh, women friendly because we are going to uh, like, like be very flexible with them if they have kids or anything like that. Uh, and that actually becomes a strength and not a weakness for diversity. I don't know what you have. Uh, I would completely agree. I would just add from my perspective that purpose and values and being the best self, it transcends cultures, it transcends sex and gender. So for us as an organization, we just look for those individuals that are inspired. Yeah. The, the one thing I don't know yet, however, uh, today we are mostly in the US and Europe as uh, team members. 
uh, once we want to open in Asia, in, uh, in Japan, for example, I don't know uh, how is that going to go because we know that the culture of the local people there is so different. Like being candid there is kind of like against the culture of the of the country, uh, and so and so yeah, I think there are like lo lot of challenges ahead of us. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So uh, at this point, we can also take some questions from the audience. Yeah, over here, catch box. So could you tell, tell us more about challenges that remote work brings to your companies? And how do you, uh, what decisions do you make to translate culture to remote uh, team members? Um, it's an extremely good question. And our answer has been to avoid remote workers <laughs> as much as we can. So today we have some, uh, but we did that very progressively. Uh, actually, culture is one of the main reasons we didn't want to uh, have too many full remote employees too soon. No, what we learned, however, is that before being fully remote, there is simply the distance between offices. So very early on, we started to have people in San Francisco and in Paris. So today we have five offices. Now we are in New York, Atlanta, and London. Uh, that uh, distance between San Francisco and Paris kind of created a lot of challenges, uh, especially of communication. And there the culture is actually a huge tool to help with growing the organization. Um, the, the trust, for example, encouraged us to uh, share, to be as transparent as possible so to communicate to over communicate the the care uh means that we couldn't speak french well my i'm french i guess you my accent uh, i cannot hide my accent um and so in paris we only speak english because we have uh co-workers in the office that are foreigners i mean today we have now 17 nationalities it became kind of a strength to attract talents all over europe uh and so that came from the care we couldn't speak french in front of someone who doesn't understand french um so it's uh, all these small things that helped us to basically uh, have these remote, like distant offices. And then we started to open new offices in first New York. And then we had like new challenges because we had like a, a new small team. Uh, and we have not solved all of them because what happened there is that we didn't have any tenured employee or founder moving to New York. And so we faced new challenges of people who were very far from everyone. Uh, only solution we found it was traveling all the time. So we uh, we go there, they travel, we travel. Everyone we encourage everyone in the company to travel to another office at least once a year, whatever your role in the company. Uh, and we only recently started to have like full remote people. We just fly them to the office as often as we can. A major concern for many organizations that I've spoken with, remote, remote workforce. And I suggest the first approach is to understand that there's a level of doing and level of being. Organizations and leaders are very tempted to focus on, here are your KPIs. And uh, the remote workforce doesn't feel connected. They don't feel a part of the organization. So create a systematic design within your company that addresses that human desire to connect. Otherwise, people are going to feel they're a part of a machine, they're a tool. Any other questions? Okay, we can get back later. Um, yeah, so we've been talking all about the culture, so how are your businesses actually going since you have all this great culture? Well, I, I've, I have an agency called Mably. It's been on, it was on the Inc. 500 last year. We're one of the fastest growing agencies in Chicago. 
And um, all of it is, in, in, in my opinion, is because of the culture, because of the people. And Pro Habits has been um, quite a wild ride. We just launched it this summer, and we're super excited with all the attention we're getting. It just means the world is ready now to bring values to life and to operationalize cultures. So, knocking on wood. And yeah, and business is great for us too. Um, we are uh, getting close to 170 people now. Congrats. And, and we ended last year at 65, which is kind of like one of the biggest challenge we have with culture actually, because scaling the culture when, we, when six months ago, half the team was not there, is very difficult. But on the other hand, the culture is the main reason we were able to grow that fast in terms of people. Uh, so today, we, I was saying we are across five offices. We have uh, 4,000 customers uh, from 100 countries. Where, so we are a search uh, API, and we operate today uh, about 1 billion uh, search calls every day. Okay. Um, there was uh, one more uh, audience question. So how would you deal with uh, like a brilliant team member uh, who, from a technical or a sales point of view, who doesn't necessarily actually share the company values or at least like at that moment doesn't really share to appreciate them? Um, we try to uh, not hire them. <laughs> that's the first so, step. <laughs> yeah, that's the first step. And I think the uh, interview process is so important there. And then we try to coach them. And that can work, by the way. I mean, we had like some divas joining us early on that we were able to coach, coach out of that behavior. And then finally, if that doesn't work, that means that you may have to let them go uh, better. Because if culture is important for you, these people are going to become toxic. You have to be able to, to make the hard uh, decision here. I, to I totally agree. That's exactly what we do in our organization. I would just add that the intervention could be very extensive to help them understand what's their purpose, what's their journey to being the best selves. And um, at that point, they realize whether they're a fit or they're not a fit. And almost like a relationship, at a hus husband and a wife, or you, in relationships, you realize that your values no longer align. But if they haven't explored it, they haven't had the opportunity to decide what their journey looks like. Okay. Um, and as a last question, can you give the audience a few tips on their daily lives? How can they actually make their company's culture better? I, I could go through a list. I'm going to keep it to only a couple. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so as, as we're learning from Prohabit's research, people are so busy. They're so distracted with social media that we're losing our ability to be present. And uh, we find that our employees and, and within, within organizations are really looking for that. So bringing mindfulness into your organization, and I know how crazy it sounds. My background is an investment banker, and I'm here talking about mindfulness. Um, but bringing that, that as an acceptable practice, five minutes of meditation, bringing positivity, bringing gratitude, starting meetings with showing appreciation, going back to the basics that help promote the right state of mind. All right. Um, be intentional on your culture. Uh, I would say that's the main thing. Uh, start early. If you don't do anything, you are going to have the culture that is going to be the sum of the habits of your, your team. Uh, and that's probably not what you want. Uh, it's much better to be proactive and decide where you want to go, what company you want to work for five years, ten years from now. Um, so it's way better to be intentional. And as you scale, that's what 
we were discussing like uh, an hour ago, uh, focus on uh, how much leverage you have as a founder at improving the way the, the whole company works. Uh, invest in yourself, becomes, become a better leader. Don't underestimate how much making yourself slightly better can have a lot of leverage at making everyone else better. If you can make yourself 5% better and by consequence make everyone 5% better, it's going to have a huge impact on the company. Okay, thank you. Let's give a big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Slush Podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.